please subscribe and leave a review of Dorky wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you can support the pod if you'd like. You can use PayPal or buy me a coffee. There are links to both methods on Dorky's website and in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much. Before the episode, let me tell you about an amazing online boutique that I just know you're going to love. Save Boutique, that's spelled S-A-I-V, is a great place for clothes, accessories, and shoes. One of the great things about Save is that it's size inclusive. Most items Save offers are available in sizes from small to 3X, and they're looking into ways to offer even more sizing options. They also drop new items every week, so there are always new things to choose from. They even offer three buy now, pay later options. Shop Pay, Klarna, and Afterpay. One last thing, they're offering a discount to DoorKey listeners. Just enter the code DOORKEY, that's D-O-O-R-K-E-Y, all caps, no spaces, for a 10% discount. I even put a link to Save Boutique in the description notes of this episode that will take you directly there and automatically apply the discount at checkout. So check out the amazing clothes, accessories, and shoes Save Boutique, that's S-A-I-V Boutique.com, has to offer. You'll be so glad you did. Hello. This is Dorky. I'm your host, April. This is a podcast about history. I'm going to be discussing events, people, and sometimes just random things from history that interest me and are important. I am absolutely not a historian. I'm just a dork who spends a lot of time watching, reading, listening to anything I can get my hands on about history. And I want to talk about it. I think a lot can be learned from looking into the past, and I'd like to share what I've learned, and my opinion about what I've learned, and I hope you enjoy it. Edgar Allan Poe was an American writer, poet, and editor. He's best known for his short stories and poetry, and these usually had a dark, macabre slant to them, which makes him the perfect subject for the first episode of a month-long celebration of all things spooky leading up to Halloween. I tried to think of a name to use for this celebration of spooky that I liked as much as spooktacular, but couldn't. I just love a good pun too much to let it go to waste. Sorry, not sorry. Edgar Poe was born in Boston on January 19, 1809. His parents were both actors. He was the middle child. He had an older brother and a younger sister. Unfortunately, Poe didn't get off to a good start. His father left the family when he was one, and then his mother died of tuberculosis a year later. He was taken in by John and Francis Allen, who were from Richmond, Virginia. They never formally adopted him, but they did give him their last name as a middle name, so that's where the Allen in Edgar Allan Poe came from. He stayed with them until he was a young adult, although his relationship with his foster dad wasn't very good. 
1824, he served as the lieutenant of the Richmond Youth Honor Guard as the city celebrated the visit of the Marquis de Lafayette. Poe had a relationship with Sarah Elmira Royster before he left for college in 1826, and they may have even been engaged. At the University of Virginia, he studied ancient and modern languages, but he left after a year because he couldn't afford it. Poe fought with his foster dad over money to pay for school and gambling debts he had. To be fair, it sounds like Poe's foster dad did send him extra money to help him and even sent clothes, but Poe's debts just kept building. So it was time to leave the University of Virginia, but he didn't want to go back home, especially after he learned that his girlfriend, Sarah Elmira Royster, had gotten married to another man. Poe joined the army when he was 18 and published his first collection of poems called Tamerlane and Other Poems anonymously, just crediting himself as, quote, a Bostonian. Only 50 copies were printed, and the book received almost no attention. Poe enlisted in the army in 1827 using the name Edgar A. Perry. He claimed that he was 22 years old, even though he was 18. He enlisted for five years, but served for two years and then tried to get out early. Poe revealed his real name and his circumstances to his commanding officer, who told him he'd only allow Poe to be discharged if he made up with his foster dad. Poe wrote a letter to him, but was ignored for several months. Poe's foster mother died in 1829, and he went home the day after she was buried. Poe's foster dad finally agreed to help him be discharged from the army so he could go to the military academy, West Point. Before starting at West Point, he moved back to Baltimore to stay with his widowed aunt, Maria Clem, her daughter, Virginia, his brother, who was also staying there, and grandmother. That same year, Poe received, quote, the very first words of encouragement I ever remember to have heard in a review of his poetry by influential critic John Neal, which caused Poe to dedicate one of his poems to Neal in his second book, Al Araf, Tamerlane and Minor Poems, which was published in Baltimore in 1829. He started at West Point, but was dismissed only seven months later for, quote, gross neglect of duty and disobedience of orders. I used the word dismissed, but that's too soft of a word. He was literally court-martialed, but this might have been on purpose. In 1830, Poe's foster dad married his second wife. This marriage and bitter fights with Poe led to the foster father finally disowning Poe. Poe was just over it all and wanted out of West Point and away. The gross neglect of duty and disobedience of orders I mentioned earlier was him refusing to attend formations, classes, or church. It's thought that he tactically pleaded not guilty to cause his court-martial, knowing that he would be found guilty. It was after this that he declared that he wanted to be a poet and writer. Poe left for New York in February 1831 and released a third volume of poems, which was simply titled Poems. The book was financed with help from his fellow cadets at West Point, many of whom donated 75 cents to the cause, raising a total of $170. The book included a page saying, To the U.S. Corps of Cadets, this volume is respectfully dedicated. The book reprinted the long poems Tamerlane and 
Al-Araf, but also six previously unpublished poems, including early versions of To Helen, Israfel, and The City in the Sea. Poe returned to Baltimore to his aunt, brother, and cousin in March 1831. His elder brother, Henry, had been in ill health, in part due to problems with alcoholism, and he died in August 1831. After his brother's death, Poe began to really try to start his career as a writer, but this was a bad time in American publishing to try to do that. He was one of the first Americans to live off of writing alone, and he had trouble with the lack of an international copyright law. American publishers often produced unauthorized copies of British works instead of paying for new work by an American. There was a booming growth in American periodicals around this time due to new technology, but many of these periodicals only lasted a few issues. Publishers often refused to pay the writers or paid them much later than they promised, and Poe was often left broke due to these issues. Nevertheless, Poe persisted. He placed a few stories with a Philadelphia publication and began work on his only drama, Polydian. The Baltimore Saturday Visitor awarded him a prize in October 1833 for his short story, M.S. Found in a Bottle. All of this brought him to the attention of John P. Kennedy, a wealthy man from Baltimore who helped Poe get some of his stories published and introduced him to the editor of the Southern Literary Messenger in Richmond. Poe became assistant editor of this periodical in August 1835, but he got fired just a few weeks later for being drunk on the job. Poe returned to Baltimore, where he got a license to marry Virginia on September 22, 1835. He was 26, and she was 13. Poe was able to get his job back at the Southern Literary Messenger after promising better behavior. He went back to Richmond with Virginia and her mother. He remained at the Messenger until January 1837. During this period, Poe claimed that its circulation increased from 700 to 3,500. He published several poems, book reviews, critiques, and stories in that paper. On May 16, 1836, he and Virginia held a wedding ceremony at their Richmond house with a witness falsely attesting Virginia's age as 21. Side note, she wasn't even close to 21. She was only 13. Poe published a novel called The Narrative of Author Gordon Pym of Nantucket in 1838. In the summer of 1839, Poe became assistant editor of Burton's Gentleman's Magazine. He published numerous articles, stories, and reviews, building on the reputation as a critic which he had gained while at The Messenger. Also in 1839, the collection Tales of the Grotesque and Arabesque was published in two volumes, though he didn't make much money from it and its reviews were mixed. In 1840, Poe published a prospectus announcing his intentions to start his own journal called The Stylus. Side note, a prospectus is a printed description of or advertisement for a book usually issued before publications in an attempt to generate interest and advance orders. Thanks, Google. Unfortunately, this journal wasn't ever produced before Poe's death. Poe left Burton's Gentleman's Magazine after about a year, 
and found a position as writer and co-editor at the very successful monthly Graham's Magazine. In the last issue of Graham's for 1841, Poe was among the co-signatories to an editorial note of celebration of the tremendous success that magazine had achieved in the past year. Around this time, Poe attempted to secure a position within the administration of President John Tyler, claiming that he was a member of the Whig Party. He hoped to be appointed to the United States Custom House in Philadelphia with help from President Tyler's son, Robert, who was a friend of Poe's friend, Frederick Thomas. However, Poe failed to show up for a meeting with this friend of a friend, Frederick Thomas, to discuss the appointment. Poe claimed to have been sick though it's said that Frederick thought that he had been drunk. All the positions in the Tyler administration ended up being filled by others. In January 1842, Poe's wife Virginia showed the first signs of tuberculosis, or consumption as it was known as back then. She was singing and playing the piano and had what Poe described as the breaking of a blood vessel in her throat. She only partially recovered, and Poe began to drink more heavily under the stress of her illness. He left Graham's and attended to find a new position. He returned to New York, where he worked briefly at the Evening Mirror before becoming editor of the Broadway Journal and later its owner. While there, Poe alienated himself from other writers by publicly accusing Henry Wadsworth Longfellow of plagiarism. Poe accused him of, quote, the heresy of the didactic, in other words, writing poetry that was preachy, derivative, and thematically plagiarized. Thanks again, Google. Poe correctly predicted that Longfellow's reputation and style of poetry would decline, concluding, quote, we grant him high qualities, but deny him the future. Longfellow never responded to any of this. On January 29, 1845, his poem, The Raven, appeared in the evening mirror and was a sensation. It made Poe a household name almost instantly, though he was only paid $9 for its publication. It was also published in the American Review, a Whig journal, under the pseudonym Quarles. The Broadway Journal failed in 1846, and Poe moved to a cottage in Fordham, New York, in the Bronx. That home is known as the Edgar Allan Poe Cottage and has been relocated to a park near the southeast corner of the Grand Concourse and Kingsbridge Road. Virginia died at the cottage on January 30, 1847. Biographers and critics often suggest that Poe's frequent theme of the, quote, death of a beautiful woman stems from the repeated loss of women throughout his life, including his wife. I'm not a biographer, critic, or even a psychologist, but this makes sense to me. Poe's behavior before Virginia's death could be described as eccentric or even chaotic, but he became increasingly unstable after his wife's death. He attempted to marry poet Sarah Helen Whitman, who lived in Providence, Rhode Island. Their engagement failed, supposedly because of Poe's drinking and erratic behavior. There is also evidence that Sarah's mother intervened and did things to stop their relationship. Poe then returned to Richmond and resumed a relationship with his childhood girlfriend, Sarah Elmira Royster. Remember her? Believe it or not, here's where things get wild. On October 3, 1849, Poe was found delirious on the streets of Baltimore, and, as Joseph W. Walker, the man who found him, put it, 
quote, in great distress and in need of immediate assistance. Poe was taken to the Washington Medical College, where he died on Sunday, October 7, 1849, at five in the morning. So he was in the hospital delirious for four days. In all that time, Poe wasn't coherent long enough to explain how he came to be in his condition. To add to the overall strangeness of the situation, the clothes Poe was wearing when he was found weren't his. He is said to have repeatedly called out the name Reynolds on the night before his death, though it's unclear to whom he was referring. Some sources say that Poe's final words were, Lord help my poor soul. Unfortunately, all the medical records have been lost, including Poe's death certificate. Newspapers at the time reported Poe's death as, quote, congestion of the brain, or, quote, cerebral inflammation, common euphemisms for death from disreputable causes such as alcoholism. However, the actual cause of Poe's death remains a mystery. Speculation has included delirium tremens, heart disease, epilepsy, syphilis, cholera, carbon monoxide poisoning, and even rabies has been suggested. One theory, dating from 1872, suggests that a practice known as cooping was the cause of Poe's death. Cooping was a form of electoral fraud in which citizens were forced to vote for a particular candidate, sometimes leading to violence and even murder. They would even sometimes force people to vote several times by changing their appearance and clothing. This theory actually seems to make the most sense to me, and it even explains why Poe was found wearing clothes that weren't his. But I don't know if we'll ever find out the real answer. Immediately after Poe's death, his literary rival, Rufus Wilmot Griswold, wrote a high-profile obituary in the New York Tribune under a pseudonym Ludwig. This obituary was filled with accusations that described Poe as a lunatic, and which claimed Poe to be a person who, quote, walked the streets in madness or melancholy, with lips moving in indistinct curses, or with eyes upturned in passionate prayers, never for himself, for he felt, or professed to feel, that he was already damned. The long obituary appeared in the paper on the day that Poe was buried, and was soon published throughout the country. The piece began, Edgar Allan Poe is dead. He died in Baltimore the day before yesterday. This announcement will startle many, but few will be grieved by it. Ludwig was soon identified as Griswold, an editor, critic, and anthologist who had borne a grudge against Poe since 1842. Griswold claimed to be Poe's literary executor and attempted to destroy his enemy's reputation after his death. I'm going to stop for just a moment to just marvel at how loosey-goosey things were in the 1800s, when you could just declare yourself someone's literary executor, and people just went with it. Griswold also wrote a biographical article of Poe called Memoir of the Author, which he included in an 1850 volume of collected works. There, he depicted Poe as a depraved, drunken, drug-addled madman, and included Poe's letters as evidence. Some of his claims were either lies or distortions. For example, it is seriously disputed that Poe was a drug addict. Griswold's book was denounced by those who knew Poe well, including John Neal, who published an article defending Poe and attacking Griswold. However, Griswold's book became a popularly accepted biographical source. 
This was in part because it was the only full biography available and was widely reprinted, and in part because readers enjoyed the thought of reading works by Poe, a dark, possibly mentally ill man. The letters that Griswold presented as proof of his claims were later revealed as forgeries. So, this is tough because it's all so murky. By looking at Poe's behavior over his life from reliable sources, it seems to me that it's pretty safe to say that he was troubled, to put it kindly. But it's hard to get to the truth, especially because of Griswold's obituary and letter, which was taken at face value at the time, when it sounds like it was just written out of spite. So I don't know. I've seen sources that claim he was an alcoholic, sources that claim he was a binge drinker, and even sources that claim he was allergic to alcohol, so couldn't possibly have been an alcoholic. I did find out that in the last few months of his life, he joined the prohibitionist temperance movement, but there's no explanation given as to why. After everything I read, I do suspect he might have been a binge drinker, but that's just my very speculative, uneducated guess. All the sources were pretty unanimous that he wasn't a drug user, so there's that. In the end, what really matters, as far as I'm concerned, is the work he left behind. Whether he was under the influence when he wrote or not, I enjoy what he wrote. And his work has influenced a lot of writers. I mean, he literally invented an entire genre. His story, The Murders in the Rue Morgue, is considered to be the first detective story ever. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the man who wrote the Sherlock Holmes novels, said, quote, Each of Poe's detective stories is a route from which the whole literature has developed. Where was the detective story until Poe breathed the breath of life into it? The Mystery Writers of America, an organization of mystery and crime writers based in New York City, have named their awards for excellence in the mystery genre, the Edgars. Poe's best-known fiction works are considered gothic horror. They talk a lot about death, its physical signs, decomposition, premature burial, the reanimation of the dead, and mourning. Something I found out about Poe while researching this was that he was one of the first American authors of the 1800s to become more popular in Europe than he was in the U.S., and that he was especially popular in France, in part due to early translations to French by a popular French author. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle isn't the only author Poe inspired. The author Jules Verne wrote a sequel to Poe's novel, The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, called An Antarctic Mystery. It's also known as The Sphinx of the Ice Fields. Horror author H.P. Lovecraft was also heavily influenced by Poe's horror tales, dedicating an entire section of his long essay, Supernatural Horror in Literature, to Poe's influence on the genre. Poe's work even influenced Alfred Hitchcock, who once said, It's because I liked Edgar Allan Poe's stories so much that I began to make suspense films. Poe also inspired a love of all things dark and spooky in a certain girl who shall remain unnamed, who would smoke clove cigarettes and wore Doc Martens while reading his work in the 1990s. Poe even had an influence on cryptography. He was very interested in it, and even placed a notice of his abilities in the Philadelphia paper, Alexander's Weekly Express Messenger, inviting people to submit ciphers for him to solve. In 1841, Poe published an essay called 
a few words on secret writing in Graham's magazine. He even put ciphers into his short story, The Gold Bug. Poe doing this played a major role in popularizing cryptograms in newspapers and magazines. Two ciphers he published in 1841 under the name W.B. Tyler were not solved until 1992 and 2000, respectively. One was a quote from Joseph Addison's play, Cato. The other is probably based on a poem by Hester Thrall. Side note, William Friedman was an American cryptologist, and he got interested in cryptography when he read Poe's The Gold Bug as a child. He would later go on to decipher Japan's Purple Code during World War II. As if Edgar Allan Poe's life didn't have enough mystery to it, here's one last one before I go. The Poe Toaster. Starting in 1949, someone would come to the cemetery Poe is buried at every year on his birthday, January 19th. The mysterious man would be dressed all in black, carry a silver-tipped cane, and his face would be hidden by a scarf or a hood. He would pour a glass of cognac and raise a toast to Poe's grave. He would then arrange three red roses on the grave in a distinctive way, and then leave, leaving the unfinished bottle of cognac. This mysterious person became known as the Poe Toaster. Sometimes he would leave notes as well, things like, Edgar, I haven't forgotten you, or the torch will be passed. In 1999, a note was left that announced that the original toaster had died the previous year and had passed the tradition to quote a son. The Poe Toaster's last visit was in 2009, which marked 200 years since Poe's birth. Then, the Poe Toaster stopped coming just as mysteriously as he'd started coming. There have been people who have claimed to have been the Poe Toaster, but weren't able to prove it. So, the Poe Toaster's identity remains a mystery. And you know what? I like it like that. And I'm sure Poe would have too. Some of the sources used for this episode was prologue.blogs.archives.gov Grunge, eapo.org, and Wikipedia. So that's it. That's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can reach me at dorkypod at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know if I left something out or got something wrong. Or let me know if there's something in particular in history you'd like me to talk about. There's also a Facebook group called Dorky Podcast. Join it and be part of our community. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're hearing it. It helps the podcast grow. But more importantly, your feedback will help me make this a better podcast. Until we meet again, friends. 